When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one press conference at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining us once again is my pal and fellow Bobcat, Elizabeth Sutton. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Rob. Great to have you back on the show. It's been a little while. Yes, thank you for having me back. Oh, no problem at all. So, okay, uh, as anyone could see here in the notes, uh, we're not talking about a song or a movie or a concert. We're talking about another part of the sort of Dylan legend, his press conferences, specifically the 1965 San Francisco press conference of which many famous Dylan quotes have been pulled. So Elizabeth, this was your idea uh, as opposed to talking about a song. Why did you want to talk about this press conference? Well, um, I first saw the press conference a few years ago um, because Chris has the DVD of it and um, he wanted to watch it to kind of give a different perspective on Dylan and everything I'd ever heard about him about Dylan was that he was so difficult with the press and <laughs> you couldn't get a straight answer out of him and um that he's just a bad person to interview and that he just can't give a good interview and when I saw this it really blew me away because I just couldn't believe how um like combative I felt like the questions were mm-hmm. and um that he was trying and they just um, were really badgering him and it just it felt like that wasn't the idea that I had about him at all mm-hmm. um, I was just blown away by how much it seemed like he was trying to answer the questions and be chill about it and they just were not and um, I just think that's so interesting and I just I always think about this press conference when I hear anything about him being difficult and um just hard to talk to because it just seems like if you have the right attitude and have asked the right questions, you can have a good interview. But if you just basically do what so many of these people at the press conference did, you're probably not going to get what you want. Yeah. I mean, when I watched this again, I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I don't think I ever watched the entire hour, you know, straight mm-hmm. through like this. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's when you watch it, you can, you can tell clearly that when Dylan gets a question that he obviously thinks is either worth, maybe not worthy of his attention, that seems a little snotty, but I think if he gets a question that seems like it's in good faith, mm-hmm. he answers it straightforward. Yeah. Uh, if he, if anything, a little humbly, you know, he seems kind of um, a little fidgety and nervous, mm-hmm. but then when he, then when he gets a question where, you know, somebody says something like, well, you make a lot of money from your records as if that's some sort of great sin mm-hmm. that you make money from your records. Um, then he just resorts into the, to the sort of typical word games and just uh, head games and messing with these people. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the things I was, I was struck by when watching it again was, uh, and for people, you know, too young to remember, and I'm a little too young to remember this is that, You know, starting in the late, it basically wasn't until the late 60s that the major entertainment providers, whether they be TV or or, um, movies, started to recognize that they could market 
directly sort of that there was a bigger generation because of course the baby boomers are coming up that there was the bigger generation of young people who would consume entertainment and the culture shifted from being kind of like wow look at these crazy teenagers to just talking directly to the teenagers Mm -hmm. and you could sort of see that some of these press people don't know what to make of this guy i mean it's almost like they're speaking two different languages yeah yeah, and they kind of go into it, I feel like, with the attitude that they are not going to understand each other. Mm. Um, and something that really struck me was, obviously, now, depending on the celebrity, you can have so much access to them, um, like, through social media and everything else. And here, it seems like so many of these press people didn't know what to do with the artist live in front of them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's he's not an artist who has been dead that you can just make theories about and kind of move on he's there to answer you and like they just didn't know what to make of that because he's there to defend himself if he feels like he needs to and he will and I think that just set people people just didn't know how to deal with that I think it's interesting that he felt the need to sort of defend himself because you're like well what why what does he need he's a musician I mean like I mean I think probably again to, to moderate audiences the idea of even just a press conference at all Mm-hmm. For anyone not being a politician, you're like a press conference. Yeah. Why? Why would now? Of course, nowadays with social media, you don't do any of that. You just blur, you know, you send out a press release on your social media platforms and you're done. Mm-hmm. And maybe you post an Instagram photo or something. But uh, <laughs> by the way, Bob Dylan needs to get on Instagram. I would join Instagram if Bob joined Instagram because the photos would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> here's a new sculpture I worked on, and. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it, so right, I mean, and right at the beginning, it's sort of funny. You could see how some of the reporters are trying to like curry favor with him a little bit. Like the one guy that asks yeah. him, what poets do you dig? I'm like, oh, <laughs> all right, you're so trying to kind of butter pop up. He's like, yeah. I'm going to talk to this guy. Like, what poets do you dig, man? You're like, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it is, I, it seems like for some of the um, reporters there, they wanted to prove that maybe they did know more about Dylan than some other people in the room or that they were bigger fans. And that just, I feel like for Dylan more than maybe someone else that is just, he it's like lost on him. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's going to get any favor with him to prove that you're just a fan. Right. And you can see how, how hard they're trying, of course, and this has been, he's dealt with this his whole life. He's dealt with this basically till today almost. The labels, they are so big on the labels about, yeah. you do folk rock, right? And Bob's <laughs> like, no, I don't do folk, no. Yeah. It's yeah. like, and they are just like, and it's so fun, the way the human brain works, we just so need to categorize things. Yeah. And we can't live with the idea that this guy's like, I just do, I just make music. Mm-hmm. That's it. I, I just make music. Don't, why does it need to be like, well, but yeah, but you do folk rock, right? And just like, <laughs> oh God, oh my God. But it is funny that Bob, I, it, it's fun to see him. Again, I've said this uh, other episodes about like no direction home. It's just fun to see Bob talk for a long period of time, straight yeah. through, like just sit there and contemplate. And so when you're watching these press conferences, I mean, again, and this one is the, one of the, probably the most famous one, simply because it, Hey, he has so many famous lines from it. I mean, he does this, he says the thing about, I think myself as a song and dance man, <laughs> which uh, ended up inspiring a, 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 the title of a book about him. Uh, <laughs> and he has the line about, uh, you know, there's the line about where the, the that young girl says, your music's supposed to have a message. And he's like, where'd you hear, where'd you hear that? You know? And there's, I mean, and there's so funny, there's some of the stuff in here is like, how much it 
accidentally plays off where he's asked about what other career might you get into and he, or what, what stuff might uh, your music be good to advertise for? And he says, ladies garments. (laughs) And of course that's exactly what happened 40 years later. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And he even asks, will you paint or sculpt? And he says at the time, no, I don't think so. But of course he's doing both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just funny that, I mean, like you said, that people want answers and he just, he just must have the answers because he's the one who's making the music. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting. I mean, so many of the questions take, they take him so seriously in some of the parts of the conference. And, um, you know, when somebody asks him or tells him that they read somewhere that someone said he should make movies. So are you going to make movies? And he said like, yeah, kind of a noncommittal way. And then he wants to know, when will this come out? What is it about? <laughs> it's just like, geez. <laughs> yeah, I know. He just, yeah. I mean, okay. He's not ready. I think he even says next year or something. You're like, yeah. what are you guys talking about? Uh, yeah. So it's things like that where I think you can kind of tell that the people asking the questions are not used to talking to artists. And they're more used to interviewing, you know, like politicians and people who have answers for things and um yeah they're just it's hard to accept that sometimes art is just made and that's that's it yeah do you think watching these and i've seen a couple of them that he is do you think it's all do you think at any point well i guess we were talking about earlier that when he gets a question it seems that he likes he seems to be being straightforward but do you feel like this whole thing is sort of a performance that it's some sort of weird performance art is that he knows exactly what he's putting across by these weird answers i mean when he's asked about with poets and he says you know i like wc fields i mean which is purposely an absurd answer yeah well in a way i almost feel like because you know in the course of his career it's fairly early and i almost feel like it was a test on his part because he's seen the way it opens is that it seems like he's very willing like he'll ask answer any question ask him anything um it doesn't seem like he was like forced to be put on this stage and like, let's see what happens if people do ask me anything and I try to give them a straight answer. And because it was kind of a mixed bag where I do think he did feel like some of it people just didn't get and it was kind of over people's heads that I almost think that that influenced him to just kind of start bullshitting people later on in interviews because mm-hmm. I already saw what happened when someone asked me a straight question and I gave a straight answer. They just don't take it. So I might as well have fun with it and just, you know, not try to get too serious about it. Because I do think he's trying and it's just, he's just not on the same level as the creator of the art. It's just like, he's, he's kind of the wrong person to ask a lot of this stuff. (laughs) Right. Oh, as he said himself, he's like, I'm the last person to to ask what my songs mean, which, you know, to the layman, you're like, come on, that's absurd. But when you think about it, you're like, well, no, I can understand what he's saying. You know, it's, (laughs) It's open yeah. to interpretation. You're not asking, the, you know, doesn't matter what he thinks about. Now, I did scanning the crowd of reporters. First of all, there are a couple of, um, I, I get it. This is a, this is a more sinister word than me, but almost there's a couple of plants there. I mean, you, at one point, Bill Graham, the, the rock promoter starts asking him questions. And I don't think they ever cop to the fact that that's Bill Graham. And so he's yeah. acting like he's a reporter. And I'm like, well, that's not a reporter. That's Bill Graham. <laughs> you know, yeah. now, maybe, maybe everybody in the room knew that, but they don't ever say it. Right. It's just it's interesting that there are so many different people because like 
because it, it's interesting that they don't ever point out Allen Ginsberg really either. So right. Yeah. You see him just sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I noticed there were a couple of reporters. There's one guy later on. I mean, most of the reporters are, as you might expect, uh, white men mm-hmm. and in suits, older guys. Uh, and But then there's a couple that are younger. There's one guy with, like, this big bushy beard who looks like he's in the Mamas and the Papas or something. <laughs> there was another guy in sunglasses with, like, a Carnaby, like, kind of like a, uh, like, I don't know, like a bowler hat with a big yeah. feather on it. And I'm like, oh, dude, you are trying way too hard. <laughs> To, to look like your part. And it makes me, it, when I look at it, I, I, uh, I start to think something I read years ago in a book about FDR was that uh, when Eleanor Roosevelt started doing press conferences, because of course she was the first lady, she made a demand that she would only be, uh, she, she demanded that some of the reporters covering her were women. Mm-hmm. And none of the, none of the major newspapers at the time had women reporters in those positions. Mm-hmm. And so they were, they were, these newspapers were either uh, confronted with not covering the first lady, which they didn't want to do because she was massively popular, mm-hmm. or they literally had to hire female reporters for the <laughs> first time. And so I see some of the women in the crowd. There's some younger girls, the girl that asked her about the movie magazines. She looks like she's like 17. Um, yeah, well, I did read that she was um, one of four high schoolers that was there. Wow, what a... Oh man, <laughs> what a what a treat to be be in high school and you got to go to the Bob Dylan press conference. But I saw that like uh, in the front row, there's an African American woman, which surprised me for 1965. Yeah. I just didn't think you there were African American women reporters on this kind of beat in 1965. That seemed surprising to me, and I wondered if newspapers didn't look at this guy and they're like, "Look, we got to get some younger people here to talk to this." guy because our older guys just there's just no frame of reference they have with with this Dylan guy yeah I think so and they just you know um people with some kind of knowledge of folk and him um because I mean some of the questions are so factual like what is the longest song you've recorded (laughs) like is that really your question to Bob Dylan like yeah what a what a pedantic question to ask like yeah and How so, do they press the vinyl for your record? Yeah. <laughs> so I do think, you know, there was some kind of effort from, you know, some people to put people in the audience that um, might ask some questions that were more relevant and be able to connect to the people watching. Because I assume most of the people who wanted to watch, you know, had some um, knowledge of Dylan in some way, um, or maybe not. Maybe it was a way of, getting people familiar with him, but either way it was, um, they definitely could have used much more younger people who weren't asking such fact-based questions. Right. (laughs) I did notice there are some people there that are like laughing way too hard. Cause yes. there's a couple, there's a couple times where Bob says something that's not that funny. Sometimes he's genuinely funny, as we know. Yeah. He is a genuinely funny guy, but there's sometimes where he just says something nonsensical and you hear somebody go like, Whoa! and you're like, okay, again, again, we're, you know, you don't want to be the non hip guy who doesn't get Bob Dylan, but I, you know, sometimes you could just admit, yeah, that wasn't that funny. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's not, he's not a stand up comedian for Pete's sake. Well, and it seems to make him uncomfortable sometimes where he did not expect that kind of laugh like huge loud laughing reaction to some of the things he says and he's not quite i don't think he knows what to make of that really 
Right. I mean, I think he's he probably like, you know, these people are being somewhat phony around him and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is right around. I mean, so, I don't do you know what month this took place? Because I'm wondering where this fits in in terms of what he did and where don't look back figures into it. Because it, I he seems in this, at least in this press conference, he's playing games and he does seem a little bored with some of the questions, but he doesn't seem I don't know, is angry. Like part of the reason I don't watch Don't Look, Don't Look Back a whole lot is because he just seems like kind of super angry through a lot of it. And it's just a little unpleasant for me. Here he's just a little, he seems more bemused by the whole thing. Yeah. And this was in December of 65. Oh, so, wow. Okay. All right. So yeah, right at the end. And, um, and I he just got married. Yeah. He's just way more chill. And just, um, because I think it's interesting the way he talks about the booing. Um, he, he talks kind of about it in a more removed way, um, mm. like that it it did happen, and whoa, that was crazy, and <laughs> I, like I never know what to expect. But he just he doesn't seem as resentful. Uh, I mean, I do. I love that he says, you know, he doesn't understand how people can pay to go to see shows just to boo, <laughs> which was something right. I thought when we uh, whenever I first watched Don't Look Back is um, like, why is everybody here spending money to see somebody that I guess they have no intention of liking mm-hmm. um and i so i think he was just much more um it yeah he was just kind of he's ready to look at that part of his career as something that was just a kind of a crazy thing that happened but he doesn't regret it and it does he doesn't seem to take it as personally at this point yeah i think he's pro- i mean at this point you go you figure 1965 he's He's gotten married. That probably made him pretty happy. And he's released yeah. Highway 61. Uh, he's had a, I don't think like Rolling Stone was a number one single. It was like a number two. I mean, he's the biggest hit of his career. Mm-hmm. So he's probably like, okay, you know, I, I can master. And he's done enough press conferences at this point that he's can master this. I don't know. I, I can't imagine sitting for an hour and yeah. just being hit with questions. I would think after a while, you would just get a little bored. I did as I'm again, it's, it's running in the background here as I'm talking. And I did notice that like in the, in the back row, there's like two very old ladies that kind of look like Margaret Dumont from the March brothers movies. And I'm like, I wonder what did they make of the, How did they draw the short straw? They had to go to a Bob Dylan press conference. Yeah. It, well, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And um, I did read um, one short article that was one of the reporters wrote about the press conference and, it was mostly about how he was just very cold and um, inaudible and which was just funny because I didn't think that at all watching it. Um, but obviously kind of biased watching it now, but um, yeah, people just did not know what to make of it. And one thing that I thought was funny um, that I hadn't, I've, cause I've watched it a bunch of times now, um, but something I caught uh, more recently I was watching it with earbuds in and like right at the very beginning when he's kind of being introduced to the press and it's almost right as the first question is being asked, he kind of like laughs to himself and says, Oh my God, (laughs) into the microphone, but kind of to himself. And I feel like he's just, he is sitting down and seeing the sea of people and is just like, Oh shit. Like, what did I just get myself into, but I'm here now. So let's do this. And um, (laughs) it's just really funny that, I, because I just, in my mind, I, I feel like he thought of it as some kind of experiment and let's just see how this goes. It's hard to, at least for me, I mean, I've grown up with the guy now for so long that it's, and I'm, 
you know, obviously uh, becoming a fan when I did, which is like 1980, you know, 1988 on, I'm used to, I'm more used to the, the, the kind of quiet reserved Bob, mm-hmm. you know, the one who does concerts where he literally says nothing the entire <laughs> night, except for singing the song. He doesn't even introduce the band and does interviews very sparingly. Although when he does do them, he's, you know, he's entertaining and he's loquacious mm-hmm. and, and everything. But it's, it's, it's like, I can't picture m- modern Bob, whatever, con- whatever, however you want to define that as the same guy. That's this guy sitting here. Cause this yeah. is, this is like a loud quiet, you know, he's like, he's, he's acting like he doesn't really necessarily want to be there or doesn't have answers, but nevertheless, he is, by his own choice, sitting in front of a room full of reporters. If he doesn't want to do this, he doesn't have to. Right. So it's, it's this weird kind of play acting where he's like, oh, why am I here? And you're like, well, you could not do it. You know? <laughs> like you don't have to. So it's like, I just can't, it, it seems like the modern Bob just, I guess, of course, he's a much older man now. He doesn't feel like he has that to prove anymore. I think he's just like, okay, I can give my interview to, you know, whatever, uh, 60 minutes once in a while or, or, some magazine and that's that's my interview for two years and other than that i don't need to talk but here it's kind of like you have to kind of pay attention because he's sitting right in front of you and it's going to be blasted across all these papers in front of you know from like 50 reporters yeah yeah well i i really wonder how much this press conference had an effect on that if you know if this had been like a really enlightening hour where it was very chill where people were asking like questions that he really felt moved by like maybe mm. it would have made him more open to the press later on but i think it was just <laughs> yeah it just felt like an experiment where if i do this they can't say that i haven't put myself out there and and like tried to answer questions um but yeah he's just not he just he doesn't think about it the same way like anyone else in the room thinks about it and so it's just so difficult to communicate that do you think that i i wonder if uh these reporters as they were getting more accustomed to you know rock acts you know mm-hmm. uh becoming i mean you, know, you have to remember rock and roll is about 10 years old at this point uh rock acts i mean obviously the beatles were leading the way and their press conferences were incredibly charming because <laughs> they were they were cute and they were funny and they you know how, how do you find america turn left at greenland ah ha ha you know all that kind of stuff and here's this guy who just doesn't – he kind of plays that game, but not exactly. He's not – he's certainly not cutesy. Yeah. Uh, and so they're probably – do you feel that any of the questions were – did you have a favorite one? Did you th- Was there one that popped out of you? It was like, oh, that was actually interesting to ask him? Um, well, I do think, um, you know, some of the stuff he said – I mean, to me, one of the most interesting things, it was very quick, but – when he was talking about the length of his songs and um, well, first of all, I thought it was interesting that he, you know, says he doesn't really pay attention to how long they are. They just come out, how mm-hmm. they come out and they should never feel long. Sometimes they just are long. And somebody asked him if, um, you know, all of his really long songs had some kind of gave him any issues with reporting. And he said something like, no, they pretty much will, put out whatever I give them at this point. And I just thought that was so great that he, at this point in his career, had that kind of career where he was Bob Dylan. And if he wants to put it out, 
it's going to get put out. It doesn't matter how long it is. Um, and I just, I just thought that was interesting. Um, and just kind of his whole um, demeanor. I felt like he, you know, despite what some of the reporters implied, I thought he felt, seemed comfortable with like where he was in his career, that he is this, at, even at this point, pretty iconic and, um, you know, was just very chill about being super famous. Cause I feel like to him, it makes sense why he's famous just because the music makes sense to him. So, you know, um, I thought it was funny when someone asked him, what, what is your attraction? Because when I first heard that, my thought was his attraction to what? Mm-hmm. And then that's what he says, my attraction to what? And everybody laughs. And I was like, okay, well, I also thought that's what he meant. <laughs> and then, um, you know, like, why do people, or why are people so attracted to music? And when he says he doesn't know, I feel like he's being 100% truthful. But <laughs> it's just like, I'm just me and people just like it. What can I say? And um, so, yeah, I just, the, I, I mean, just a lot of the questions were just so, um, I kind of couldn't believe they were asking him some of these questions that um, were just, I mean, the very first question of, you know, what, basically, what is the meaning of the cover of Highway 61 Revisited? <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, man, I'm just, it was a picture. And, <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, it, I love just all those answers where he's just trying to be very, like, straightforward and, you know, but what does the motorcycle mean? Like, well, we all like motorcycles. And <laughs> it's just his whole um, attitude I just love. I love that somebody actually literally asks him who is Mr. Jones. Yes. Yeah, literally yeah. asked that question. Yeah. Well, and where is Desolation Row? Um, <laughs> How am I supposed to answer that? <laughs> like, and that's where I think it, it's he his words almost get turned around sometimes because like when they ask where is Desolation Row and like are you a politician? Oh what yeah. Is your party? yeah they're drilling down on these questions that are like nonsensical. So I don't know what they expect him to say. (laughs) It's like, and so then when you read some of the questions, it's like, what is he even talking about? But it's like, what are they talking about? Like Mm -hmm. kind of BS answers. And then they're just going in so hard on those as if he's being super serious. And then it's like, yeah, what do you expect him to say? I thought it was interesting when they asked him about, uh, his older songs and he said something almost said something like uh no i don't sing my older songs anymore it would be almost dishonest mm-hmm. to sing them and i thought wow that's an interesting i mean he was feeling very confident about the new music rightly so but that's kind of amazing to think that he was drawing that hard of a of a line uh, between the old stuff and the new stuff to say literally it wouldn't even be honest to sing it anymore. I mean, look, you, I mean, you're talking about a guy that was just started releasing records in 1962. And here we are merely three years later. And he's already kind of saying, yeah, those first three, three and a half albums. Yeah. That's not even relevant anymore. It's like, wow, yeah. what a, he is barreling uh, creatively, just you know, incredibly fit. That's an amazing thing to say. Yeah. Well, and I think so often that, you know, even though this was just one press conference, sometimes when I hear more modern artists talk or get interviewed, I just think that he really paved the way in so many ways of being able to say things. And, um, you know, because that kind of idea I've heard from modern artists, too. Like, I know both 
Beyonce and Jay-Z have said that, that they don't, you know, they're not as into performing some of their earlier stuff because everybody knows they're married to each other and they have kids. And so it just doesn't feel the same, but you know, that's more of like a 10, 15 year difference Mm -hmm. of songs, not like just a few years, but it, it really does just show how, um, like you said, I mean, he's just, he's moving so fast and, um, you know, it's just interesting to me at this point that he is, you know, he's not a folk singer. He's not a protest song singer. And people are still like hanging on to that idea. He is so, it just seems so obvious at this point, he has left that so far behind that it's just, that it's not relevant to him anymore. Yeah. And that had to have been, you know, crushingly disappointing to the fans of his, of the old material. And we know how some of them reacted. We've seen Judas and all that stuff, but that's gotta be pretty startling to hear him say, it wouldn't be honest to play those songs. Like, wow. Now, he does mention having recorded a new song called Freeze Out, uh, which he says will be on the next album, which is a wonderful little, I mean, you know, Bob, he's just answering the question. But to all of us fans, you're like, oh, geez, he's literally talking about having just recorded Visions of Johanna. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. Yeah, I mean, you're like, what? I mean, and he tosses it off so casually. Yeah, I recorded this song called Freeze Out. Yeah, I just re- yeah, I just happened to record one of the greatest songs in the history of Rock's Can. You'll hear it on the next album. <laughs> he's yeah. kind of like, wow. Yeah, and it's like these people don't even, they just like don't even know. It's just crazy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is just, it's really amazing. And I think stuff like that is just very honest. And um, sometimes I wish like interview questions with him were more, um, were just less philosophical. And, you know, the fact that he casually threw that out, it's like, I kind of wish somebody had asked like, oh, well, you know, what else did you record? Or, you know, something more specific that is relevant to what he's doing right now, because that's what he's more excited about. And, um, you know, he just, I was like, how many times do I have to tell you, I don't write protest music? (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Some, and one of the questions that got me the most was, um, you know, somebody insisting that subterranean homesick blues was cut in half. Oh, Uh, right. Yeah. I was like, what? What? Well, and it's like, that doesn't, that's one of his shortest songs. So Mm -hmm. that doesn't even make sense. And then he, the idea of Bob Dylan himself having to correct me (laughs) as I'm interviewing him, I would be like, I quit. I can't be a reporter anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to become a veterinarian. I'm going to go to a completely different line of work. Yeah. Oh my God. And, but I mean, everyone is just, they just go with it. And um, it's just stuff like that where watching it now almost feels like some, I mean, it's almost like they weren't, worthy to be there which is horrible to say but it's like man that's your question and you don't even know what you're talking about and uh, it's frustrating yeah i'm right when you watch it from our perspective where bob is kind of this much more mysterious figure and he gives interviews so sparingly mm-hmm. uh, when you see all these people with all this access and yeah you're like that's your shot that's your yeah. that's your you know um I, this is this is completely off topic Although not really, but whatever. We'll go with it. I remember one time uh, I went to a taping of The Daily Show. And <laughs> I've been to The Daily Show a bunch of times. But this one time we went. And before uh, before the show starts, Jon Stewart would back. This is when he was hosting it. Uh, he would come out and talk to the audience and just take questions for four or five questions. 
Mm-hmm. And people, you know, would ask different things and somebody, you know, just generic stuff. And then I remembered he, he pointed to somebody behind me and it was some, uh, a younger person. And then they stood, I sound like an old guy or younger person, <laughs> but it was somebody younger than me, let's say. And all of us, most people at this point stood up and asked John if he was a fan of the Decemberists. Oh my God. And it was like, this is your one chance to talk to John Stewart, and that's what you ask him? Like, yeah. what? And even John Stewart said something like, like, really? That's what you're, yeah. you know, like, yeah. what a weird thing to like. And it was like, what are you trying to prove? That you're like hipper than him? Or like, yeah. what? What? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what a weird thing. So, so I'm going to prove, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this warning now. There's a couple of things I want to mention about this press conference, but we wrap up. I'm going to, ask you uh so i'll give you some time to think about it i don't want to hit you with it unprepared (laughs) if you had one question you could ask bob what would it be so you have a little time to think about it before we before we get to that point a couple of things i wanted to mention first of all uh we see bob smoking throughout uh pretty pretty frequently and he's smoking like a chimney Uh, i think a lot of people are smoking because man there's a lot of coughing there's just a lot of coughing and it's like you know all you first of all in in the era of covid you're like but it just when you hear so many people coughing into microphones, you're like, God, everything must have smelled like smoke back then. Yeah. Everything must have smelled like nicotine. It was awful. Yeah. Um, I did think it was funny that that one reporter, again, is so mad about the money, which is such a weird – and I think it's – it feels like a weird kind of like conservative canard mm-hmm. that they have with people. I've seen people, you know, like, oh – Michael Moore has a giant house. I'm like, well, because he's directed like eight very successful movies. Of course yeah. he has a giant house. Why wouldn't he? Like, but, like what? You know, like, yeah. what is that? I don't know what that has to do with anything. Um, well, I feel like so much of that is so pointed at his age. And, like, you have a private plane. And, you know, mm. even though they don't mention his age, that there seems to be something offensive about that. And, <laughs> who's, this punk? I, who's this millionaire punk? Yeah, and it kind of, um, it, it reminds me of some of the interviews I've watched with Billie Eilish. And, you know, she's really young and she is definitely somebody that I feel like, you know, quote unquote, older people might not understand or whatever. And, you know, um, I saw an interview about her where she like recently bought a car and they were just like asking her so many questions of why she bought this particular car. And it's like, <laughs> she's like a millionaire teenager. I mean, it's, it's weird that the idea of these younger artists getting so much success is like offensive, even though that's, you know, in our culture, that's, I mean, that's what you should be striving for. And then when you get it, it's shameful. It's just very weird. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're, when you're massively successful like that, that's how that works. Like, yeah. Why is that a, I don't know. Like, I don't understand the, 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 the dig on that necessarily that that's, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, like, Oh, I really got him this time. Like, are you expecting Bob, Bob Dylan at this point in 1965 has written what two, three dozen hit songs that have mm-hmm. been covered by a, but I mean, if you just wrote blown in the wind, you could probably retire if you manage your money correctly for oh, God's sake. So it's like, what are you expecting to want to come and dress in, dress in rags? I mean, I don't know what this is about. It's such a weird kind of strangely aggressive take on it. Um, my favorite quote uh, from the whole piece is where he's asked about, uh, you know, the, the message and he says, well, he says, uh, my, all my songs say good luck. <laughs> and the one, the one guy says, none of your songs say that. And he says, oh, yes, they do. All my songs end with good luck. I hope you make it. 
Yeah. And, and I, I find that that little exchange to be really quite touching because I think that's a very, I I'm taking Bob at his word in that point. Mm-hmm. And I think at some level he is saying that with all of his songs, it's like, he is saying we're getting through this together. Kind of, we're going through life together. And the, you know, this song might, uh, I, I'm communicating something to you through song. And it's just, it's by the, the, the sheer act of communication, you're striving for something. And it's, it, I love the idea that he's kind towards his audience saying, yeah, no, I'm saying to everybody, good luck. I hope you make it. I just, I love that quote from him. Yeah. And, and it's funny because, you know, um, that one uh, promoter who was asking him questions kind of implied that, um, oh, you know, your fans might not like to know that you don't feel about them the way they feel about you. And, you know, and he's like, well, I don't want to disappoint anybody. <laughs> um, but, and I just, I feel like, you know, him saying that his songs end like that is his counter to that in a way of like, of course, I mean, it's just, it's different because for him, it's millions of fans. And for all the fans, it's him as a singular person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just that, of course, he wishes his fans well. And he wants, you know, especially, you know, some of the, I mean, and of course, it's a long time before something like um, Blood on the Tracks. But I think of Blood on the Tracks as such a, like, we're getting through this together type of album. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's very... um you know, he's like a master at making songs that speak to people and, you know, and that's what he likes to do. And I think it's interesting that, you know, it's kind of brought up of why, what is the point of poetry if you say that words have, you know, different meanings. And it's like, first of all, that's an issue that poets have been struggling with for centuries. And like Bob Dylan does not have the answer right here of what is the point except he kind of does where he says like, but if it's what you want to do and what he says, like, I have nothing else to do, nothing better to do. It's just, you know, it just is what it is. And (laughs) he's, um, he's just a master in all of that. I think. It's interesting when you go back and you look at all of his interviews that he's done over the years, you could see that he has become more and more thinking of himself as just kind of a, um, a working traveling musician. And obviously he's much more than that, but I think that's how he thinks of himself. And it reminds me, there was a, I think there's an interview with him from the mid seventies where he was asked by the reporter, um, do you think there's life after death? And, <laughs> and he says, why doesn't Chris Christopherson get asked questions like this? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. How do I know? I don't, I'm just a musician. What do you want from me? You know, for Pete's yeah. sake. So, and I feel like the interview, like, he did that interview a couple of years ago with, um, I think it was AARP uh, of all things. And, and the, the, I mean, you know, I mean, he's, he's older now, so whatever, but the, 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 the person interviewing him, the woman interviewing him really focused on him as a musician. Mm-hmm. And I am, I feel like that is one of his most straightforward interviews. His answers feel the most genuine. He's not playing games. I feel like when he gets interviewed by Rolling Stone, he's playing games. Yeah. <laughs> he says he says stuff to Rolling Stone that I'm like, he can't possibly mean that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think he's just kind of effing with them a little bit. But but the the AARP one, he seems genuinely sort of charmed to just be talking about what it's like to be a working musician as if it's a craft, mm-hmm. like anything else, like a plumber or an electrician or anyone 
that, you know, builds things. I mean, we know Bob himself builds things. Someone who just, he builds, you know, yeah, he builds songs, mm-hmm. but it's the same idea. And I almost think that that's where he's at now, that he's mm-hmm. just, that's, that's his, he doesn't want to get asked some of these questions. And maybe, you know, I can only imagine what it must be like to have lived 50 years being interviewed. After a while, you've got to just be so stone cold bored of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, well, it's, that's something it's, that I feel like it's hard to wrap your head around if you're not somebody like him. Mm-hmm. Because it's like he's been so, he's been this icon for so many people for so long. And, but ultimately he is just a guy and, um, he does have the day to day life that he lives. And, um, you know, I just, I can't imagine being, so famous for so long and um just how that must affect how you think about yourself and other people and i mean it's just a totally different experience yeah i did notice uh the the uh, camera that interviewed that uh, is shooting him it's pretty close up it's it's you, yeah. the whole the whole interview is pretty much a uh a close-up from like his collarbone up and then sometimes it's even closer i don't know who's shooting that and they must be looks like they're right in his face but i've noticed that when he got asked a question that i think he thought had some he wanted to really ponder you could see he does like a little towel where he squints Mm -hmm. his his brow furrows a little and his eyes narrow real tight and it's almost uh, like that's uh, you know like if he's playing poker that would be his towel it's like and it's kind of nice you could see that he's really thinking about it Mm -hmm. uh he just kind of goes like hmm you know and he doesn't go hmm but his face just naturally contorts a little and i thought oh okay yeah that's when he's 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 hearing this question he's like, oh yeah all right this is something um yeah. i feel like as it goes on i mean this thing is an hour long which seems a little absurd <laughs> an hour um but in a weird way i feel like that his answers get more genuine as it goes on i feel like in the first 15 20 minutes he's playing games and then he settles in a little and his answers become longer they're less evasive. He does less of the stuff about, oh, I listen to poets like W.C. Fields and stuff like that. <laughs> I feel like they get a little more genuine as he goes on. And I wonder if, as the interview starts, oh, the, actually, there are some reverse shots. And you can see this guy with this big giant camera right in front of his face. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I, I wonder if, when you have this interview, if you are out, if, you got an, if you're in a reporter with an agenda, and you're kind of looking to almost bring him down a little or, you know, metaphorically smack this kid around. You kind of like, you probably can't wait to get that out. Yeah. And then maybe you burn yourself out. And then after those people realize they're not going to get anything out of him that, you know, crushes him or you're not going to get him to reveal something mm-hmm. you know, crazy that the people that are there for really to talk to him, they're the ones who come in at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, mean, I think one of the craziest questions is somebody asking him, basically what he would do if he got drafted. (laughs) Can you imagine? I would do what would have to be done. And then they're like, well, what is that? And it's like, man, these people are, they want to get a quote from Bob Dylan saying either that he would dodge the draft or that he would go to war. And it's Mm -hmm. like, and he's just, he's not going to give that to you. So it's like, (laughs) and I, I do love, you know, the way he talks about records as being like the most important. I feel like, um, he gets really genuine talking about that, that like we have, you know, the records have the best cuts, the records are the most important. Um, you know, he doesn't really say it, but I feel like it's, you know, he talks about how the concerts are so in the moment and some of the concerts don't have like the best equipment and you can't hear as well, but 
it's like the album is what's going to be there forever. And it's like, it should be the best version of everything. And he seems to be, you know, that's where I feel like he gets the most serious is when it is about truly the music and he's, that's where he's gets the most genuine and is ready to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. He would, that's absolutely an, an, an attitude that would, he would change mm-hmm. about that the records being the most important thing. And a certain, you know, little, I think 10 years later, he would be giving that talk with uh, Larry Ratso Sloman, where I think there's some, inter- there's some clip where Sloman says, you know, you should really record Desire because uh, the the live performances are so much better. And Bob just kind of shrugs and says, ah, it's just another album, Larry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like, all right, okay. And yeah, I mean, at that point, he thought of himself and now certainly as a live performer. And mm-hmm. that's where the work is really happening. And it's like the songs have to be put on records to get them out there. But then it's it's really in concert that that's where he's interested in. You know, that's, I think he thinks of himself as a as a live musician more than a, a recording artist necessarily at least i you know i shouldn't guess what bob dylan thinks because who the hell knows but <laughs> yeah well and i agree and it makes sense for the time where with all of the going electric and all of the booing and stuff yeah that, you know he knows that people who if you're at a concert where it's booed constantly like you're probably not getting your music across the way you want and so that he would have a Put a lot of importance on the recordings and that once that kind of died out and he was more I guess accepted as a live artist because I mean he even says that concerts are more fun now and which I kind of think that means now that he's not with like the you know with Joan Baez and all of the protest movement people that he maybe is kind of his own person now and so concerts are more fun now um but that he, you know, he likes the concerts, but it's the albums that are mo- most important because no one's booing and messing it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, one of the things that, that, that I have read about, because, I mean, again, I wasn't around at the time, but people said that it's hard to have an appreciation for was that, and not that booing Dylan or any booing anybody is, is the, the proper thing to do, but they said part of it, you know, part of the problem was is that the concert halls in 1965 were just not equipped mm-hmm. technologically to to reproduce that kind of loud sound. Yeah. So for a lot of concerts, when he was wailing away and the band was wailing away, to a lot of people, it was just a racket. It didn't yeah. have, you know, because they just didn't have the technology to be able to put it across. And so, you know, maybe some of you are getting there and you're listening and it, it just sounds like noise and you're like, what, what you know. What is it? It would take years later for concerts to become much more sound systems to become a lot more sophisticated. Yeah, well, it's funny and don't look back. I mean, or even at the Newport concert, I mean, whenever there's a shot of the crowd, there's so many people covering their ears. Like, mm-hmm. they're just so offended. They look like they're going to be sick. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's really, I love, and I love the, how it ends where you see Bob come into the crowd and he lights a cigarette, talks to somebody. And then there's just, uh, a bunch of people just kind of wandering around and he's left a bunch of stuff on the table 
Yeah. There's like some notes and there was the, the Bill Graham uh, concert poster. And I'm like, there's one reporter who kind of walks over and just looks at it and then walks away. I'm like, you could, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. That's the, you, well, you could sell this stuff on eBay in 40 years, dude. I know. I feel like we can kind of see his mind working. Like, should I? Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't. Like, no, you should have. You should have. <laughs> there's a Bob Dylan handwritten <laughs> note there for Pete's sake. So it would be fascinating. So, um, I know. Right. It's just crazy. There's kind of millions of it's crazy. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So Liz, I think we should, we could wrap it up here, but I do, as I said, I want to ask you uh, a question. If you were a reporter, I'll go first. So you get into more time to think about it, but <laughs> if you had one shot, one question to ask Bob Dylan today, not in Bob Dylan, 1965, Bob Dylan today, mm-hmm. 20, 20, by the time uh, we get around 2020, we're out of COVID 2021 happens and you get tapped Elizabeth. Somebody <laughs> sees your blog and they're like, I like the way I like what this woman writes. I'm going to ask Bob one question. So what would it be? My question, if I had the one shot, assuming I could even get it out, you know, Mm -hmm. and not just be like, (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would, I would ask him if there is one song, if there's one song in his catalog that he wishes he could have rewritten now, like, is there one song in his catalog that he could look back on and say, I wish I could come up with the inspiration for that now because I would approach it differently. And I would love to know what that answer is. Is there a song that he thinks I didn't quite get it and I Mm -hmm. had to leave it by the side of the road, like a blind Willie McTell or Caribbean wind, or is that, or is it a song that most of us think is very successful, Mm -hmm. but he is thinking, Oh, I could redo it. That I, I think that interest, that answer would be interesting to see. Is there some song in his back catalog that he wishes he could the Bob Dylan of 2021 could get the original inspiration for and mm-hmm. write. So that's, that was what I would ask him. So do you have something? Yeah, I think, um, cause I have thought about that and what always comes to mind with him or anyone else is something like, what was the last thing that made you laugh and hmm. kind of piggybacking on that. And what is the last thing that made you cry? Um, just, I always think of something like that because I would, first of all, I would genuinely love to know like, to like what has made Bob Dylan laugh today? Like what was it? You know, I just because to me that kind of gives me some insight into just his day to day life and how his mind works in a way. What does he think is funny, and what does he think is sad enough to bring him to tears? That would be really interesting. I would. I love the laugh question. That would be so funny if he like yeah. named some movie, you know, and you're like, what? Yeah, he'd probably give you some bizarre. Well, you know what? I was about to say, maybe he'd give you an evasive answer, but maybe not. Maybe if he really liked that question, he would just be straightforward and just say some movie or some book, and he read something. Because I mean, the guy is such a. That's interesting. I like. I would love. I would love to know that, Bob. Yeah. Well, and I think it's you know. If if you were able to interview him, if, you, if anyone can interview him and not manage to fill it with how much you love him and how much his music has meant to you and try to teach him or treat him as just a musician that I'm talking to, I, mm-hmm. I think he would be more receptive to questions like that that are maybe more personal or more revealing. Interesting. All right. Well, maybe, maybe someday you'll get that chance, Elizabeth. Someday. <laughs> someday so well all right that is i think that's going to do it for our examination of the san francisco press conference i this was an aspect of dylan's career that i have kind of thought about wanting to cover some because it you know it was very specific about that he did so many of these press conferences and played these games and it was interesting and so 
I never would have thought to do it. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you, you brought it up. And so again, thank you so much for doing the show. I, you know, I always enjoy talking to you. Well, great. Thank you so much. I enjoy it as well. So why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Let's see. Um, my, uh, probably Twitter is the best, which is Elizabeth underscore Dixon, D-I-X-O-N. All right. Sounds good. So, of course, everybody, if you want to follow the show, go to our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We're always talking Bob on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, you can go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Henry Bernstein, Max Hutzel, and Sebastian Krogh for their support of Pod Dylan. Really appreciate it. So uh, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Is there anything in addition to your song that you want to say to people? Good luck. Good luck. You don't say that in your song, do you? Oh, yes, I do. Every song tails off with good luck. <laughs> I hope you make it. <laughs>